Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode number three. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about math facts. And specifically, we're going to talk about addition math facts. And I'm starting with addition because that is what I do on a regular basis. And actually, I shouldn't even say I'm starting with addition. That's all I'm doing. I don't want to dedicate an episode to multiplication facts because that is not something that I am actively teaching and doing. And so I never want to share things that I don't do myself. Um, For example, I have a really hard time when people ask for TPT products for grade levels that I don't service. I just really struggle with that because I want to be able to say, these are tried and true and tested and I use it every day. Um, Is there a typo on page 15? Maybe, but you know what? Whenever I use that, I'm gonna find it, I'm gonna fix it because I'm using it all the time. So I don't wanna talk about multiplication facts because I'm not teaching those on a regular basis. I don't have experiences or stories to share or like, hey, this student did this and we tried that and it worked. So I don't wanna share that with you. So we are going to talk about addition math facts specifically, but we know addition and multiplication are very similar. So some of the things that I'm going to share could totally be applied to multiplication. So if you do have students who are working on multiplication, don't feel like, oh my gosh, this is a pointless episode for me. Maybe not, but I never want to share things that I don't do myself. So here we go. We'll talk about addition facts. I am breaking this episode up into really two parts. And so the first part is going to be all about just different ways that you can kind of approach teaching math facts as far as Um, what order are you going to do it? Or how can you chunk up all of those math facts in a way that is more digestible for our students? And the second part is just kind of talking about different strategies, different things that we can give or do with our students to help them solve some of these problems as either they're working on memorization or maybe in lieu of memorization. Sometimes memorization is difficult and they need some strategies to figure out, okay, how am I going to figure out what seven plus five is whenever I don't have 12 fingers, that kind of thing. So part one, let's talk about how can we start splitting up all of those math facts so that they're a little more digestible and where students can memorize them or work on them in a a little bit of a better approach. Whenever I think back to when I was a kid and I learned my both addition and multiplication facts, what we did was really just look at here are all of our plus ones, plus two, plus three, plus four, or maybe it was times one, times two, times three. And you kind of took them 10 to 12 facts at a time. So you do one plus zero, 
one plus two, one plus three, one plus four, one plus five, all the way up to maybe 10 or 12 plus one or 10 or 12 plus three or what, whatever group you happen to be working with. So if you think about it, kids are then expected to suddenly memorize maybe 10 to 12 facts, which could be doable for some, but for some of our kids, that could be really challenging. And they're never gonna pass their plus ones or plus twos in a quick and like fluent manner because there are so many facts. So I really want you to kind of be cognizant of when we're teaching math facts, are we overwhelming them with too many at a time? And that won't always be the case, but sometimes we're throwing way too much at them and expecting them to be able to memorize it. So my next couple of ideas or things that we need to kind of just make our kids aware of is that, yes, we would love it if everybody can memorize plus one, plus two, plus three, plus seven, plus eight, memorize them all, but sometimes that's not realistic. So we might want to take some time and work on doubles. I literally think every math curriculum or math series that I have ever seen in my entire life has had a chapter or a unit or a lesson dedicated to doubles. So to me, that says that's probably pretty important if pretty much everybody acknowledges that doubles are important for kids. And doubles kind of gives kids a spot in which they can kind of anchor other math facts around. So if we know our doubles, say four plus four, then we can a lot of times easily do our doubles plus one or our doubles minus one. We can think, oh, well, four plus three. Okay, it's not four plus four is eight. It's gotta be one less. Four plus four or four plus three is seven. And so you can kind of think forward or backward because you have like a starting point. It's also something that makes it a little bit easy whenever we're talking, maybe let's round this or round that. Okay, well, I know four plus four is eight. So, you know, those numbers weren't four plus four, but it gives me a reference point. It gives me a place to start. So oftentimes we can work on our doubles. And again, we don't have to memorize one plus one and two plus two all the way up to 10 plus 10. Maybe we pick and choose. One easy, one hard, one easy, one hard. Okay, those are your four facts that you're gonna work really hard to memorize. So maybe that's one plus one and nine plus nine, or two plus two, something that they probably know or have heard with eight plus eight. Pair them in a way that makes a little bit more sense and is a little less intimidating. Now, what is intimidating for me might be different than what's intimidating for another student in the group. So student A may not have the same four facts or six facts or eight facts that student B does. It's okay for things to be different so that it's more individualized and we're just really targeting these handful of math facts. I saw an approach a long, long time ago. I literally could not even cite it right now because I, I don't know where it came from. And basically what that author had done was they took an addition chart where, you know, very similar to a multiplication chart, one plus one equals two, one plus two equals three, and so on. Take your addition chart and chop it in half sideways, like from corner to corner. And when you do that, you only really need to memorize half of the math facts. 
because on one corner, I'm going to have say two plus three. And on the bottom, I don't need three plus two because I already know that two plus three equals five. So the, the reverse is true, three plus two. I can flip flop those and it's the same math fact. Or nine plus seven. Well, if I have nine plus seven in one half of my chart with the nines, I don't need to memorize seven plus nine because I know that the opposite is true. So for me, I use that a lot with some of my like second or third graders who they're beginning to see some of those big math concepts, they just don't have the ability to memorize some of those words. They're otherwise very intelligent. They understand, okay, if I know one plus four, I also know four plus one. So they get that, they know, they understand. They just don't have the mental space to really start memorizing all of those facts kind of springboarding off of that then is talk a lot about fact families. Take time to address that, help them understand that, demonstrate it, show it, because that does help relieve some of that tension of, oh my gosh, look at all these facts I have to memorize. Well, no, you don't really, because eventually students can start to see that two, four, and six go together in a special way. Whether I am adding or subtracting those numbers, I can do two plus four, four plus two, those both equal six. I can do six minus two or six minus four, and those numbers just go together like a puzzle, and they all fit, and we can start to see some of those connections. But Sometimes I feel like, say, with a timed math fact test, or maybe we're just doing some fun games or flashcards or activities, we're focusing so much on memorize them all, memorize them all, memorize them all. Guess what? We don't have to if we can understand that commutative property. And since I'm throwing out big fancy math words like commutative property, I want you to realize that some students will not be ready for this. Some students, it's all well and good to think, oh, okay, well, we only have to teach half. Some may not understand that, and that's okay. In time, when their mental age reaches a higher level, they will be ready for that. But kind of keep that in the back of your mind. It's all well and good in theory, but some kids aren't ready to start understanding fact families and, oh, I can flip-flop where these are, but it's still going to be the same answer. Those numbers all kind of connect together. That's complicated. Uh, we can't even joke or discount that in any way. That's hard. That's tricky business there. So be mindful of that, but definitely give yourself permission to not do what has always been done. We also know that there are certain math facts that are just easier for kids to understand. What are we going to point out in a timed math fact test like, hey, go do the plus zeros. Hey, go do the plus ones. Ooh, look at those plus tens. We know plus tens, those are easy. And that gives them a little bit of confidence. They love seeing those come up like in our math fact frenzy whenever we're doing our intervention book. It empowers them. So it's fine to start with things that build a little bit of confidence. And then later you can use that to pair something that they do know with something that they don't know so that it's not like, whoa, look at all this new content. Look at all of this new information that my brain is trying to process. Some of it they know and then some of it they don't. 
So it is okay to start with those plus ones, plus twos, plus zero, plus 10. Give them some confidence. Give them some time to even understand the who, what, when, where of what's going on. All right. The second half of this now is going to kind of move to, yes, we need to spend time working on memorization. Yes, that's important. And obviously the end goal, we want all of our kids to just have all of those math facts, whether addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, we want them to have all of those memorized. However, we know that that could take years and years and years. And math is just going to continue to become higher and higher and higher levels that they're unable to do. So we need to help support them. And that's what I want to talk about in this next portion, just some supports and some things that we can do and help and teach them so that it does make MathFX a little more doable for them. So the first thing that we can teach kids and something that oftentimes they do naturally or they do with very little prompting and support is using their fingers. And I do think we are somewhat away from the stigma of like using your fingers is bad. No, using your fingers is smart. So there are some things that we can do for them though. We can teach them, yes, you could put up two fingers on one hand and three fingers up on the other hand and count and figure out that two plus three is five. But we could also spend some time teaching them some more efficient strategies, such as don't put up three fingers, say three, and then four, five, put up your two fingers, say six, and then count up three more. As you know from a previous episode, this may not be doable for some of our kids. Some of our kids are putting up two fingers on one hand and three on the other because counting up is hard. And that's a skill that they need just exposure and practice and modeling and kind of, again, that permission, like it's okay to not start at one. It's okay to start with number four or number three whenever you're counting, that's okay. So counting up can help make them more efficient, but fingers are not bad. The problem with using our fingers is that some students might make more mistakes because even I was watching a girl the other day, she was really trying, but she also receives occupational therapy and you can tell like it was hard for her to like use her thumb to hold down her pinky to show three. She didn't have some of those like fine motor skills or that strength to do some of that like manipulation of her fingers. And so you know what? She was off every time because sometimes that pinky would pop up. Sometimes that pinky would be down. Sometimes she'd lose track of where she was counting in. So there are some problems, but it's also something that she's a kindergartner and we can still continue to work on. So counting on your fingers isn't bad, but we do do want to teach kids to be more efficient. And some of that is memorizing what does two look like? What does seven look like whenever I just see my fingers? What does it look like whenever I'm trying to show 10? They know that one. But then what does nine look like? What does eight look like? Memorizing that almost like we do with dice. We don't have to count the dots on a dice as adults. We just know what a five looks like, what a three looks like. We have to do the same with our fingers. And so for our kids, sometimes if, if fingers are going to be the way that we go, we just have to practice some of those like I guess prerequisite skills. We have to be able to count up. We have to be able to count on some of those types of things that make it more efficient. Now, fingers are all well and good. 
I don't want to make them sound bad, but I do have some things that I would probably prefer over that. And so the next one kind of, again, I'm going probably least favorite to favorite, um, is using pictures or manipulatives. So for some of my kids, teach them that it's okay to draw one, two, three tally marks or one, two, three circles and figure out, okay, here's three and I add two more one, two more circles or two more tally marks or two more squares, whatever they can draw quickly and efficiently. It's okay to draw pictures. Again, going with that efficiency piece, it's not always efficient, but I feel like as we talk, you're going to hear that there are pros and there are cons to every single one of these things because the end result is not memorization. Memorization is the top dog. It's the one we all want them to do. And so when that isn't possible, we have to find some other things and these have pros and cons. So for me, drawing pictures or we have some erasers in my room. I have talked about them before. I use Target erasers from the dollar spot all the time for all kinds of things. And my kids know that when they're doing something, they can go get a bag of erasers and use those as counters. And they're always seasonal or something fun. Sometimes they're just random because, you know, Valentine's Day was just over. So what do I use at the end of February? Okay, well, we'll use monsters or we'll use aliens or something else that is just kind of random. And so with that, they can use that. Okay, we have four, one, two, three, four. Then we have two, here's one, two, and they can use those erasers to really start adding or subtracting or demonstrating that visually instead of just drawing pictures all the time. Because for some of our kids, it might be easier for them to put tally marks or circles, but for others, let them physically do it. And that makes it a little more engaging and something that they can do more quickly than drawing. So pictures and manipulatives for me are kind of going hand in hand there um, as something that your kids could do to help them solve some of those math facts. Next up is a number line. And I, for a really long time, only used a number line. Um, or I shouldn't say only, but in a minute, I'm going to talk about my hundreds chart. And I love using my hundreds chart. But Prior to kind of jumping on that bandwagon, I used a number line a lot. And I liked using a number line because a lot of the teachers in my building had name tags that also had number lines. And then it was like something, you know, if I could teach them in a small group how to use their number line, then it made their life easier no matter where they were or what they were doing. Somebody had a number line. Either they were with me in a small group and I could give them a number line or their classroom teacher had a number line on their name tag and they could take that to a station. They could take that to a small group in their classroom. They could use it independently at their desk. And so for a long time, I really, really loved the number line and I still do. So I don't want it to sound like I, I dislike it. And I also really like to use a ruler as a number line. And so with our ruler, we use the metric side so that we had bigger numbers, more than 12. And we could count forward, we could count backwards. It was wonderful using our ruler as a number line and is definitely, in my mind, a very valuable tool, whether we're talking about the ruler or an actual number line, something to teach them so that they can apply that to addition, apply that to subtraction. We can use that number line for finding patterns and other things. So 
I believe it is a very, very powerful tool and something that we should take time to teach our students how to use. Because again, we would love for them to memorize, but if they can't memorize what eight plus six is, they need to have a strategy to figure it out. Okay, how can I know when I'm sitting by myself working on extra math or doing this worksheet that my teacher gave me for morning work or whatever it is, or maybe it's I'm at home doing homework and nobody else is there to help me or to check me and I need a way to figure out what eight plus six is. Use your number line. So definitely something that is easily accessible. You can find them whether they're commercially produced and a little more durable as a ruler on their name tag, they're everywhere. So teach your kids how to use a number line. Now, as I'm talking about a number line, I'm thinking, man, why, why do I use a hundreds chart? I literally can't think of a reason. However, I use a hundreds chart all the time. We use them every single day. My students now have them even in their classroom. It's in their agenda that they can use. So it's really as accessible as a number line, but for some reason that is just what we have really grasped onto. And my group of students right now are responding very well to that. And it works in a very similar manner. We can put our finger on a number and count forward. We can put our finger on a number, count backwards. Um, for a while, or kind of when we first begin, going from 10 to 11 is difficult, but we talk about it like in reading where we do a return sweep and we come down to the next line. It's the same with our numbers. So we use our hundreds chart for addition and subtraction, whether it is multi-digit numbers, like you know two and three digit addition and subtraction. We use it for our math facts. We use it for patterns. We look for 10 more, 10 less, one more, one less. So we use it in a variety of ways. And so I think that's probably really why I like it more than a number line is because it really helps kids even be able to compare numbers. We can just use it in so many more ways since it goes all the way to 100. But again, it definitely requires some time and some experience and some training. Um, kids often either want to count the number that their finger starts on, like if I had six plus three, they put their finger on six and they wanna count that as one. We have to practice that, oop, I usually put one finger there and early on we lock it in place, lock it, that one doesn't count. And then we move our other finger after we lock it and say one, two, three and count on. So it takes practice, it takes training. But guess what, if I teach them how to use that hundreds chart when we're in first grade and we're working on our math facts, then guess what? We can use the same hundreds chart now in second grade when we're working on two and three digit addition and subtraction because they already understand I put my finger on this number and then I count forward or I count backwards. I understand that 10, 11 business there. If we were doing say three, three numbers, adding three different numbers that maybe we might exceed 20, they can do that as well because we've practiced that and the hundred chart allows for that. So I, that is really my go-to. That is what I use every single day with my kids. And I don't discourage them from counting on their fingers. I don't discourage them from using their manipulatives or drawing a picture. All of those things are good. But if I had to have my pick, I think they work fastest and most efficiently 
with 100 charts. So that's what I encourage the most. Or even if I see that they're struggling, I'll say, would you like a 100 chart? And then most of the time they're like, yeah, I need, you know, I need to do that. Um, or even we were taking our iReady diagnostics the other day and one kid had went to get some erasers and they just struggling like he in particular had counted his erasers and then looks at me because his answer wasn't one of the three choices. So he knew he was doing something wrong, but got lost in all those erasers that it he didn't know what to do. And so I said, would you like a hundreds chart? And he goes over, he gets a hundreds chart and you know, then he gets his answer and he's like, oh, okay. And I think sometimes they just get lost and, and that's okay. Um, so I love to use that, but all of the other things are wonderful as well. And sometimes just a better fit for a child's learning style or um, maybe even just the way they process information. Some work better than others. And the last strategy that I have for you today is touch points. I really love touch points, but I will be honest, I don't use them with all of my kids. Whenever I first started teaching special education, I was like really trying to shove it down the throats of literally anyone and everyone who would listen to me. But now, while I still love it, and it is last for a reason, because I think that is probably the most efficient way for kids who can't memorize, it's the most efficient way for them to do math facts on their own, but not all students are ready for it. So be mindful. You can't shove it down all of their throats. I have a little first grade guy right now who he really wants to use his fingers, which again is fine. But if it's nine plus two, he's out. Nine plus three, he's out anything that is just even slightly larger than 10 because he's using his fingers, he just really struggles. On his hundreds chart, he does okay, but it's like that's not his preference and he doesn't want to do it and that's okay. But then I don't want him to use his fingers because he gets it wrong every time. So we've been kind of introducing the idea of touch points and he's doing quite well. So again, he's ready for it. The girl who sits across from him at the table though, no way. She is not ready for touch points and she is a freaking master at that hundreds chart and she gets them right quickly and efficiently and okay, I hope you can memorize them someday, but if not, you're doing very well with this. So they're each doing different things and I love that because guess what? We don't all do math the same way. The way I think of a math problem is very different than the way you might think of a math problem. As long as we both get the same answer, who cares? So take some time to get to know your students and likely you already do, but kind of thinking about it with this frame of mind, which stage are they in? Are they in this early, I need pictures, fingers, manipulatives, I need something physical to be able to figure out this addition fact? Are they in more of that like number line, hundreds chart, I need some aid there, but I'm doing pretty good with like putting my finger on one number and I can hop forward or backward a certain number of times. I might occasionally hop too much or not hop enough or, you know, make a silly mistake, but in general, that's kind of the stage I'm in. Or are they in that stage of like, okay, I need touch points because I don't have a memorized. I'm still going to have to count up or I'm still gonna have to count back. But in general, okay, I get it. I know what I'm doing. Or are they in like the last, the dream stage of like, I have a memorized and I'm all good. 
and think of it kind of in that way. Where do they fall? What do they need from you? And then how can you find ways to get whatever that is in other areas of their life or other areas of where they're going to be completing math in the classroom, in a small group, at home for homework, all of those things. Those hundreds charts that I use, they're actually very, very old. And so, well, actually I have since ordered newer ones, but those old ones, I send them home because if I never see them again, if they get beat up or their dinner is spilled all over it or a drink is spilled, the dog chews it up, whatever, I don't care because they're old and they're yucky and they're well used. Whenever we did virtual learning, I literally chopped off the bottom part of it so they could fit in my um, poly envelopes that I sent home. And I've had parents say, is it okay if we keep this? Because I have really loved having that. Of course do it. Keep it. That's totally fine because it helps. So find ways to get whatever's working once you figure that out. Find a way to get some of those things so that they can do that in other settings. Those little Ziploc bags of erasers, perfect. Send them home. They cost a dollar at the Target dollar spot and you can break them up usually into at least two or three sets of 25. So perfect. Send them home. Let the kids play with them. If you never see them again, eh, do you want that? No, but then they have something. Teach them that they can use Cheerios or Fruit Loops or whatever they have at home, M&Ms, candy, it doesn't matter. Teach them strategies to help them solve some of those problems. And in my mind, if you are practicing the same handful of facts, like let's say we have divided that in our uh, addition chart in half, and we're only practicing our doubles or we're only practicing a handful of facts, guess what? In time, they will begin to memorize those. They will become better at counting on all the skills that we want them to do. They will get better at in time because they're doing it in small, strategically chosen sets of facts. So kind of to come full circle and bring the beginning where you choose things that fit the needs of your kids in with the right strategies, in time, memorization can and will happen. It's just how long is that process going to take? So take time to think, how do you want to divide up how you're going to introduce or give those addition facts or multiplication or whatever you choose? How are you going to give them to your students? And then how are you going to support them in actually solving those until memorization is able to happen? All right, my friend, there it is. Addition math facts. What are you going to do? How are you going to teach this and handle this with your students? Maybe you um, had a little bit of reassurance like, oh, it is okay that I'm doing this or, oh, it is okay that I'm doing that. Maybe you had some aha moments like, oh, well, no wonder using a hundreds chart is difficult. They're still struggling with counting on their fingers or no wonder touch points are hard. We can't count on yet. Some of those types of things. I hope either you had some reassurance or some aha moments as you listened. Next week, I am going to dive in the deep end. This is your warning. We are really going to start talking about what I would consider more heavy material. This is not stuff that just, oh, every day you know, or you're hearing these terms or what have you. We are going to be talking about how all of those weaknesses, different processing, different abilities 
how is that going to affect a child's ability to do math? So I can't wait. Don't let this warning scare you, but I, I'm going to do my best to make it as simple and as like action item packed as possible. If a student is doing this, this is what you're going to do, or these are ways that you can support them in the classroom. So I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.